My name is Pastor Derek, and I just want to welcome you to Connect. If you're here for the first time, it is our pleasure uh, to have you today and to serve you and to help you connect to God, godly people, in a godly place. Amen? Amen. That's the vision of our church. Listen, um, for those of you who are family, spiritual family, in other words, you, you're, you're, some people are on the fringe, they're just checking us out, and some people are frequent flyers that come here all the time, but they just haven't kind of made that commitment. But there's a group of people, a large group of people in the church that have kind of called this their home, formally. And in the first part of the year, we did a survey, uh, and there, there were these pastoral care cards that we had you guys um, participate in. Does anybody remember doing that, these... This, okay, 10 of you, well, cool, 400, 440 of you did it, so you got a short-term memory, uh, but I just wanted to give you some feedback of uh, that experience, just for those of you that might be interested, and just let you know, first of all, that we are extremely thankful that you participated in that, it was a, it was a very large survey for our church, and it gave us vital data to be able to help people uh, on their spiritual journey, which is really, this whole series is about that. And basically, the Bible says that a shepherd is supposed to know the status of his flocks, and it also says that um, we're called to lead the flock with integrity and skill. So there's a skill side that just says, okay, here's where we are, and here's where we should be going. And in order to do that, we kind of have to have a good point of reference for where people are. And so we we had uh, 440 of you take these pastoral care cards. Uh, just under 300 are, are official members of Connect. Um, we taken all that info, used it to update our database to be able to kind of just, again, sometimes simple stuff, contact information and emails and things like that. But mostly to find out just kind of where people are at in their journey. If you uh, you know, or, or you consider this a home church, if you've gone through our discipleship class, if you're in a small group, if, you've, if you're a part of a dream team, those kind of things. Next steps. In fact, one of the next steps, it was just cool um, data, but for as an example, 39 people said they were interested in being baptized from that survey. So we're following up with those people to just help them in their journey. We'll probably have a very successful baptism in the next two occasions. Um, we also got tons of feedback in just a lot of different categories. One of those we just called themes, and this is just like, you guys wrote a lot of comments. Uh, you're very verbal, uh, so you had a lot to say, and so we had to process those, but they kind of came into a few buckets. Um, we've reviewed all of those, and it's taken quite some time to do so. Um, in fact, we received 242 Get Better suggestions. Um, so related to our worship experience, related to service times, uh, communications, facilities, many, many other things. But some of the things, the themes that we got, I just thought I'd share with you, and this has been consistent for quite a while, and this is really to brag on you as a church, spe specifically our family and dream team. But this is what you guys said, um, you know, kind of what you love about Connect. You love Connect's people. Uh, you love how welcoming they are, how friendly, how we care for each other without judgment and accepting environment, and it feels just like a family. That was just a really strong, probably one of the top uh, themes that came out of the survey. I thought that was great, and kudos to all of you. Uh, you love the worship and the messages here and how it allows you to draw close to God and one another. You love this particular guy that's on the stage, says, good looking, pretty... I just can't read it. Uh, no, but, so, so there's some fondness of the leadership. Uh, the other thing, just it was just a general thing, and this came up over and over and over again. It says, many of you just said that you love everything about Connect, which is awesome. And I just thought you should just give yourselves a big hand clap because you guys represent Connect to the community, and uh, kudos to all y'all. Um, but we're reading all this input, and we are processing it, um, pretty much have processed it, but now we're trying to put it into application. Another cool thing that came up, we collected info about desires for a new campus. Many of you know that's in the vision of Connect. Um, this was interesting. 37% of you that participated indicated that you like a campus in the Framingham Natick area. That was the largest uh, response. Another one, 23% in the Milford area. And then we had a few of you that wanted a campus in Brazil. And Canada. So keep praying, everybody. Keep praying. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I just thought that was funny. So <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. You can get, get into your notes. We're going to look at uh, a theme text. It's been Exodus chapter 6, 
verses 6 through 7. And what I want to do quickly is orientate those of you who are kind of here for the first time. And then for the rest of us, just kind of let's just do a little remix, refresh of what just happened. Um, this particular series is based on a book my pastor and really close friend Chris Hodges wrote in, from Church of the Highlands called The Four Cups. I'll actually be with him uh, couple days. Um, And um, anyway, this whole thing was based on the Passover experience. And one of the things that we discovered when you look a little bit deeper is that there were some traditions within a kind of a uh, um, an original version of this Passover experience where it included four cups of wine. And each cup represents something very, very significant. So when they were having this Seder supper, this, this progressive dinner, really a celebration. So when you think about Passover, you need to liken it to our 4th of July. It was a celebration of freedom. So when you think 4th of July, that's, that's kind of what it was like for them. It's the closest parallel that I can give you in modern terms. But um, in, in this um, experience, they would read from Exodus chapter 6. And inside this text were what's known as the four I wills. I will this, I will this, I will this, I will this. And every time they ran, read one of those I wills, they would raise a cup. And each cup connected to one of the four I wills, otherwise known as these promises from God. These promises have existed for over 3,500 years. They weren't just for the people of God back then, but for the people of God today. In other words, they're eternal and they're unconditional and they relate to us today. Can I have an amen? Amen. These promises, though, like they like lay a runway for a journey for all of us to go on in our spiritual walk from God. And so it's just, you can see really clearly when you look through the lens of the New Testament, back at the Old Testament, what God was trying to do through the people of Israel, and that same process or journey is what he's wanting to do through us today. It's just so cool. And so it's just very revelational. Um, and what's interesting is that all of us as beings created in the image of God, we have this desire to connect with God, to know what God's plan and purpose is for not only humanity, but for us as individuals. And as um, beings created in his image, triune, he is trinity, triune, um, there's a part of us, a spirit part of us, that longs for answers, that longs for more. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, I believe it's 3 verse... 11, it talks about eternity has been put in the human heart. In other words, there's this hole that wants to get filled, These, this, this longing to connect with uh, a God and a longing to know God and a longing to, to find out what God wants to do in and through us, and that can only happen uh, when we find a way to connect with him. And so this is in all of us, and whether we like it or not, believe it or not, we're all on a spiritual journey, every single one of us. And what God's wanting to do is he's wanting to keep us moving in the right direction. So the purpose of the series is to help you identify where you are on that journey and then help you with your next step. Is everybody clear on what's going on here? So where am I? Where am I supposed to go next? That's what we do when we go to a mall. That's what we do when we, you know, we go to certain locations. We try to find kind of that legend or that, that place in a certain location that's unfamiliar to us. And it says, you are here, but I'm trying to get here. Okay, so what do I need to do from here to get to here? That's what these four promises do for you and me. And it requires movement. Amen? I like to move it, move it. It's God's favorite song in this series. All right, so he wants us to move, and he's, that's really what success is, is taking us from here to where, we, where God wants us to be, and sometimes we're resistant to that. Sometimes there's resistance to that as a general rule. So a quick recap of the few messages that we've had so far. This is part five. Part one, we talked about the promises of God. Everybody say promises. Now, the promises of God are both conditional and unconditional, okay? But bottom line is, every promise that God has for us, and there are over 6,000 in the Bible, all of those funnel under these four I wills, or these four promises. They'll all connect to them in some way, shape, or form. So for these promises to, to be beneficial to us, we have to know them, and we have to pursue them. And so what I think the best promises for you to know are the big ones. And then the other ones will begin to fill in and flesh out and help shore up these major promises that are there for us. Amen. So you got to know them, but you got to pursue them as well. And then in week two, we talked about the Passover experience. Kind of really put, um, you know, we we painted a picture. What what was it like uh, when Jesus gave his life for us as the the, the scripture tells us the, the Passover lamb. He, Christ was our Passover lamb. So initially, 
when we were separated from God, we would fall short, we would sin, we would make a mistake. There had to be a sacrifice for sin, and those sacrifices were given with what was the best case scenario, a spotless, blemishless lamb, because the wages of sin, the Bible says, uh, has a payment to it. There's a payment for sin. And so how do we pay for sins? We would offer sacrifices. It was an old covenant. It was an insufficient, ineffective covenant. It didn't really, it didn't really do it. So Jesus came, and he's sitting down with his disciples in Luke 22. They don't know what's really getting ready to happen. And he, they're celebrating Passover, as was the tradition, and everything changes in just a moment. All of a sudden, he's basically saying, hey, the way we've done it before, which, by the way, didn't work, and for hundreds and hundreds of years, we've struggled to fulfill God's plan and purposes for our life. Now it can be fulfilled in and only in relationship with me. I am the, the final lamb. I am the last lamb of God. That's why John the Baptist said when Jesus came, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the only one who could fulfill all these promises was Jesus, and the only way we can fulfill the promises of God is in relationship with him. So every time we celebrate Passover, which we know today as communion, Jesus said, whenever you do it, please remember me. Remember me. It's all tied up. All of these promises are tied up and connected to relationship with God. Amen? Amen. And so then in Easter Sunday, which was, that was when we finally started the first cup. So now we're starting to unpack this journey week by week, promise by promise, one I will after another. So the first I will, we talked about, you know, how Jesus is going to bring us out of, out of Egypt. In other words, this is about what we, we refer to as kind of getting out of jail, so this isn't about anything we have to do, anything we have to earn, no up-down turnarounds, no religious behaviors, nothing. This is just, you're in slavery, I need to get you out of slavery. Now, when we look at that story, we have to liken it to ourselves. We are slaves to sin. We have a sinful nature. We have a pre predisposition, or a big word my dad taught me, a propensity, a natural proclivity. So you don't know I'm that smart, but I'm not. I just learned all these words from my dad, and I just repeat them towards sin, a bent towards sin, okay? And in order to kind of change that direction, it's not going to happen through, um, through information. It's not going to happen through reformation. It's going to happen through transformation. And the only one that could change us and make us a new person is relationship with Christ. And we receive that ability to be changed from the inside out and get a new identity by accepting by grace through faith what Jesus did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's the first cup. And it needs to be left alone. Nothing should mix with that or corrupt that. That was the first cup. So now let's just look at all these cups in Exodus 6 and read it together, okay? So Moses gets this heavy revy, this revelation, while he is uh, alone with God on a mountain one day, and he speaks for God, and, he, and God says to him, tell this to the Israelites. Say to the Israelites, and here's the four things. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. There's the first cup, first promise, first I will. Don't change things. You, I just got to get you out of jail. I just got to get you out of jail. I, I want to bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Second cup, second promise, I will free you. Now he doesn't just get you out of jail. He's going to get the jailbird out of you. How many know that sometimes people get out of, in, they're incarcerated, then they get out, and only 50% after three years of people who are incarcerated go right back into jail? Because they had to get the jailbird out of them. There was behaviors and attitudes and, and, and there were mindsets and things like that that were so entrenched in them they didn't know how to live successfully in the real world. And that's exactly what God was trying to do with his people Israel is he wanted to get them out of jail but now he had to get the jailbird out of them. That's what the second cup of deliverance is all about is being free, getting, getting the heart of slavery out of us. Last week we talked about that. It is a very practical, important message in your discipleship process. If you were not here last week, I beg you, implore you, if this is your church and you want to grow, to listen to that message. Amen? And then it says, I will redeem you. This is the third cup. This is what we'll talk about today. Uh, and there's two ways that he helps us fulfill this third cup, which I'll unpack for you. And then last cup is, and the last I will, promise of God, I will take you as my own people. And this will be next week's message. Please don't miss this. This will be the culmination of the series. It's critical. I'm really excited to give you this particular message. And then it says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then, and I like to say, only then will you know that I am the Lord. That's when you begin to understand and connect. I don't believe you're really 
really living in fulfillment or significance until you get to this fourth cup. And this, these, this path, these processes are so powerful. So here's how they break down in modern terms. We'll do this super fast. Look in your notes. The cup of sanctification basically is referring to salvation. Everybody say salvation. In other words, nothing you can do. This cup is all by itself. Salvation needs to stand alone. We spent a little bit of time last week talking about how important that is for you. It's the easiest thing you can ever do, but it costs you everything. It's, the, it's, again, by grace through faith. Then the second cup, the cup of deliverance, this is about freedom. Everybody say freedom. freedom. Now, when I'm going through these things, the reason I'm taking this time to review these things every week is this is the vision of our church. So if you ever went to C101, this is what we talk about. This is the why behind the what we do at Connect. We are trying to take everybody on a journey, on, and it has a strong biblical foundation for what we're doing. So you want to know what we're all about? Here you go. This whole series is what we're all about, okay? So freedom. God wants you free. It's, it's, the first cup is in a moment. The second cup is a process. In fact, all of us, in, in a measure, are going to be in cup two the rest of our life until Jesus comes. We are being transformed into his likeness in ever-increasing glory. We are, we are moving from faith to faith, from glory to glory. We are learning precept upon precept, line upon line. It's little by little by little by little. We are growing and moving forward in God. It's a journey, amen? And we need to enjoy the journey, still be excited about the destination, but if we're preoccupied with the destination, God, you might as well take me out and just take me home. But God has something he wants to do in this this life, and you are glorifying God in this life as you grow in the journey. Man, that was some good preaching. That was really good right there. I like that point. Now, most people don't get to this next cup, okay? So this is the cup of redemption. In fact, 87% of American Christians don't get here. That makes, that, that means that nearly 9 out of 10 people in this room, this subject is highly relevant to. So this is what we're going to talk about today. This is probably my favorite cup. All right? The modern translation of this cup is restoration. Restoration. In other words, we already know he doesn't want you in Egypt. We know he doesn't want Egypt in you. He wants to get you out of slavery. He wants to get you out of that nature to sin. But then he wants to, he wants to see you transform. He wants to see you change. He wants, to, he wants to help you work out your salvation with fear and trembling like we read in Philippians 2 last year. But more importantly, there's more. Everybody say there's more. He wants to bring you back to what he, his original intention and design for you was. Israel's design and purpose wasn't to be slaves. It was to be a light to the rest of the world, a city set on a hill that everybody will look and say, who, who, who is that? Who do they follow? Where do they get that strength, power, influence? Where did that come from? It came from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what they wanted Israel's purpose to be. But Israel didn't know that. Israel's just going through the slaves, you know what I mean? We're doomed. We're not going to make it. Dragging their knuckles, just all down and out for hundreds and hundreds of years. But God always had a purpose, and he wanted to get them through these first two cups so he could get them to the good stuff. Amen. How many want to get to the good stuff? Turn to your neighbor and say, let's get to the good stuff. None of that cheap wine. <laughs> just seeing if you're paying attention. Hey, this is four cups. What did you think I was talking about? <laughs> so he wants to put you back. He wants to help you find your purpose, help you figure out what you're here for. And then the last cup is the cup of praise. The modern translation for that is fulfillment. Fulfillment. Most people think like the ultimate goal in life is to be happy, to be circumstantially uh, content and satisfied to just have no problems. When you go through the rain, you don't get hit by the raindrops. That's not possible, first of all, and that's really not going to make you happy inside. Happiness is something that's not external circumstance. It is inner word, inner delight, inner joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength, right? It's something that comes from the inside. It's a fulfillment. It's getting up every day knowing I'm right in the middle of the, the plan of God for my life. That's what it's supposed to feel like. When you lay your head down at night, you're like, man, you know, that day mattered. It was, there was messes and there were problems and there were, you know, bugs coming at my windshield, but I just swept them off. You know what I mean? Just, they're just bugs on the windshield. No problem. I didn't get my tail up over the dashboard over all that stuff. Amen? So let's jump into cup three. That was the review of what all that stuff's about, but we're going to talk about this whole promise 
this, this cup of restoration, this cup of redemption. But we got to understand the word redeem. I will redeem you. A lot of times we come to church and you expect everybody's going to understand what this means. So I thought I'd give you a little bit more definition to what redemption or redeem means. And then we'll talk about these other two lines that he's going to do it how? With an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. So we'll get into the how, but let's first define what redemption is. Webster's first definition, and this is not in your notes, this is bonus for all of you note takers, and note takers are history makers. You guys will get that. Let's try that again. Note takers are history makers. There's a statistical evidence that you will retain way more information if you write it down. All right. Webster says this. It says, redeem, I'll give you three definitions. It means to buy back or to repurchase. Buy back or repurchase. Notice it doesn't say purchase. It says repurchase. The, here's the conditions of us spiritually. We were bought back by God. We, we were originally purchased by God, though, in the first place. We're his. We were his children, okay? We were, we were, his, we were owned by him, ultimately. But we, we, Isaiah says we, um, we all went our own way. We've gone astray, Isaiah 53, 6. So we got sidelined and sidetracked, and in the process, many of us got into slavery and enslaved by something or someone else. And so when you're in slavery, you have to get out of slavery. So Jesus redeemed us. In essence, he purchased us back. I don't know if you've seen like modern renditions of this sometimes in movies like um, the movie Taken. Anybody? You don't have to tell me if you've seen it, but it's a cool movie. Um, and I think there's like two or three of those. But basically what happens is, uh, uh, I think in the first one, I don't remember, but she, the, the daughter of the father gets taken and she gets sold into slavery, sex trafficking. And so he goes and he doesn't buy her back, but he gets her back. How many know what I'm talking about, right? He, the father's going to get that girl back one way or the other. He had some special particular skills to do so. <laughs> I can remember that from the trailer. I've got some particulars. Anyway. But, uh, but our father didn't go and do it that way. He went and bought us back. It's as if you were in a, uh, in a flea market. And you ever see like these old dolls or whatever, the flea man, these old stuffed animals, whatever. And you go into a flea market and you see this just raggedy old Anne. You know Raggedy Ann? Remember Raggedy Ann? And, and, and everybody's just passing it by. Nobody wants it. And then Jesus comes to the flea market and says, I'll take that doll. How much is it? And the, and the man says, that owns it, it'll cost you everything. And Jesus says, okay, I'll take it. I'll pay for it. He, that, he bought you back. He, he, he paid the ultimate price for you by giving his life for you. That's what he did. When he got on the cross, he redeemed you. He purchased you back. It's amazing. How good is God, by the way? He bought us back. So here's the second definition. Redeem means to change for better or to reform, change for better or to reform. A way to describe this definition is, is that basically too many of us, our goals are way too low. Our, our goals are way too low. Like our goal as Christians, we don't say this, it's subconscious, not necessarily conscious, we don't declare it, but we think it is, my goal is to not screw up, not to mess up, not to, my, my good is no bad. My best is to do no bad. Let me just tell you something. Don't settle. That is way too low a goal. God has a way better life for you than to just not do bad or not do bad things or not just have a bad life and to spend the rest of your life trying not to make any mistakes and walk through the rain and don't get hit by any raindrops. That's not how. He wants you to be able to plow through the rain and be able to come up against some waves and tsunamis and just when, when the enemy comes at you like a flood, you know what I mean? God will raise up a standard. He doesn't want you to avoid the rain. He wants you to go through the rain. Come on, somebody, okay? So don't settle here. There's a better life. Here's the third definition. Redeem is to repair, or I like to say restore. This is my favorite description because the cup of restoration, the, a picture for this, I was using a, an illustration in the first service. I was trying to think of an old car, and the only car, the oldest car I could think of, which is what I think in America is the oldest car, is the Model T, the Ford Model T. And anybody ever heard of this, like history lessons in school? So the Ford Model T, imagine if you came to a uh, junkyard and you stumbled upon an old Ford Model T. Now, if you knew what it was, like God knows what we are, you would look at that and you would see a tremendous opportunity and you would see tremendous value in that. And you would do everything in your power to restore that back to its original uh, priceless vintage self. 
You would, if you could, you'd restore the paint shop. You would repair the engines. You would get those tires fixed. You would get that white walls on those old tires shining like, you know those, you know what I'm talking about? Those fat white walls. You know what I mean? And the ultimate expression of its fulfillment or of its redemption would be not only just to be able to look at and look at how pretty that is, but to get it back out on the road and watch that thing go down the road. Now, if that was going down the road and you saw a Model T, how many know that would be worth something? That would be worth a lot of dough. A lot of dough. That's what God wants to do to you. That's how he sees you. You're not just some raggedy old Ann doll. You're not some Model T, just, you know, piece of trash. No, he sees something that nobody else sees. It's amazing to me that people, what's coming to my brain is I'm seeing people who see things differently than I see things. There's a guy who was in the last service, Joe and Karen Canestraro. They can be driving down the road and see trash and make it furniture in their home, and it's absolutely extraordinary. Blows my mind. I actually have... Some, some furniture in my house that I got a framed door that's on my, uh, in my kitchen. They, they saw it and it was in somebody's trash, you know, going out to be thrown away. And they took that and they made this beautiful window with a mirror and stained it. And it's just awesome. They have a, a um, oh, you know, what do you call it? Like a, yeah, it's like a shower curtain thing, but it's not. It's the, it, we drapes. It's a drape pole, whatever the drape pole is. But anyway, but they made this amazing drapes out of a branch. See, I can't see that, but they can see that. That's how God is. He sees what we see as junk. What we see as something to be discarded, something to be thrown away. He sees as beautiful and precious and valuable and vintage. Are you tracking with me? But why do so many not drink from this cup? What is keeping us or preventing us? And the answer is actually found in the promise itself. Exodus 6, 6 says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. So we understand redeem now, but what about these two other power phrases? With an outstretched arm, with mighty acts of judgment. Why does God have to outstretch his arm? Why does God extend his arm to you and to me? It's because most of us are at a place so low that he has to outstretch his arm. He, he's going he's gonna to do everything in his power. He's going to stoop down, we'll see this later in a psalm, to make us great. He extends because we see ourselves as pitiful. You know, we see ourselves as sidelined. As we see ourselves as the ra- raggedy Ann doll. The psalmist says, I'm in, David speaking, I'm in a miry clay, but God lifted me out. And set me upon a rock, and so I sing a hymn of praise unto my God. That's how we see ourselves a lot of times. We see ourselves as low. You know, I'm just a worm. He sees a butterfly. You know what I mean? We see the glass half empty. He sees it half full and getting fuller. We always have this tendency. And so what he'll do is he'll stretch his arm down to reach you and pull you out. That's part of what he does in this third cup. And God sees you differently. And he says, I don't want my kids to be like that. I don't see my kids like that. One time my daughter, I told you this, she was leaving our car um, and she was going to the playground and I could just see that the, the security in her as she waved goodbye to us, you know, not, without even turning around because she knew how we saw her and that's what God wants us to feel like. He wants us to see ourselves the way he sees us but a lot of times we don't feel that way a lot of times our relationship is is affected because our view of our relationship with God is affected by our view of God but if we could see ourselves the way God sees us we could fulfill the plan and purposes of God on our life but a lot of us see ourselves as just broken a lot of us see ourselves as low yeah I've got the fire insurance but that's it that's it and the problem is, and this is in your notes, we have a complex, and the complex is an inferiority complex. We have an inferiority complex. We don't see the greatness that God sees in us. We see ourselves, again, as kind of the, 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 the tail and not the head. We see ourselves as awful and sinful and pitiful, and, and, and it's sad. It's very, very sad. I remember years ago, as a young man, and, and it's amazing the efforts, and God will do this in this service for some of you, and you might still ignore it, which would be sad and a tragic tragedy. But I can remember being in a service like this many years ago, about 19 years old, and somebody called me out of a crowd, and they spoke what's known as a word of prophecy. It's just one of the gifts that's spoken of in 1 Corinthians. And it was a prophetic utterance. It was kind of a foretelling of things that were to come in my life. And he was a reputable man, and he spoke it, and he was credible. And I remember him speaking to him, and he said, he said, he pulled me out and he put his hand on me. He said, son, the, 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 the um, prayers of the saints that have gone before you have caught up with you today. People have been praying for you 
and they're all catching up with you today. And there's a hand that's great that's upon you, and there's a seed of greatness within you. And he said it's like a grenade, and one day it will explode with greatness. Now, at the time, I didn't feel so great. I felt like a worm and worthless. How many know that God will go out of his way sometimes to speak to you through his word, speak to you through a a prophetic voice, he'll speak to you through circumstances, because he's trying to stretch down his arm and reach down to where you are in your low condition and pull you out from that place. Psalm 1835 says, you stoop down to make me great. He sees greatness in all of you. I spoke to a woman years ago who's in this church, and she was a wonderful woman. She was like the life of the party. Inside, she was broken, and, and she got uh, just overcome by an inferiority complex. She was trying to keep up with everybody. I, rec- I recognize the spirit because I wrestled it myself, and she was wrestling with suicidal tendencies and, and whatnot. And there's a woman in the last Uh, service who some of you guys know because she's pretty uh, visible, but she was helping me minister to this girl. And I said, sister, what, you know, we couldn't get through to her. And finally, uh, this this other girl that was with me, she just, she, she left. And I said, I said, tell me, how do you think God sees you? She says, Pastor D, I know where you're going with this. You're trying to convince me that, that God loves me. I know he loves me. I know he loves me. But when he looks at me, he sees me as the runt of the litter. And her view of God and what she thought God saw of her was affecting everything. She had an inferiority complex. And it was adversely affecting her ability to fulfill what God wanted to do in her life. I battled this my whole life. I actually grew up very insecure, believe it or not. And I would do things that would go against my Christian moorings, morals, and convictions, all to be accepted by people. The, probably the primary enemy of my life, was, which is, corresponds with insecurity and inferiority, is the fear of man. The fear of man, the Bible says, worketh a snare, but he who puts his trust in the Lord will be kept safe. So I was preoccupied with what man thought, so I wanted this person to be happy, that person to be happy, that person to be happy, everybody to like me, like me, like me, and I would do anything to get people to like me. But at the end of that road, you know, you find out that nobody likes you and you don't like yourself, which is even worse. And even after I got saved, I didn't see the potential that was in me. And I can remember my parents trying to birth, you know, some of the potential within me. And, and one of those things was, the, was my um, a gift to sing. Now, to say that you can't sing when you can sing is not, is not pride, not humility, it's false humility. So it's a gift, just a gift. Sing, right? So I would be singing in the shower. Believe it or not, I would close the door, turn on the fan, turn on the shower, and turn on the sink water so nobody could hear me sing. But how many know they're all in there listening? (laughs) They'd be listening to me sing, and I'd be singing. The the first time that I really sang to anybody was my wife, Stacy. And I I was embarrassed to even do that. She'd have to be in another building on the phone. I'd have to pull away from the phone, put the phone there, and I'd play the guitar and just hope she, you know, liked it or whatever. It seems so romantic, but I was scared to death, scared to death about it. Prior to that, though, my parents were always trying to get me, so they they hired a a woman to teach me how to play guitar and sing. Needless to say, they gave up because every single lesson, all this woman said was, sing louder, sing louder, Derek, sing louder, because I, I just couldn't get over my inferiority. And it, 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 it was in other areas of my life that are so connected. The things sometimes that you're struggling with the most might be directly correlated to the thing you're supposed to do the most. And so when I was a young man, I struggled with, uh, believe it or not, just even be able to speak in public. In fact, one year I ran for a president of student council. And honestly, just to be popular, to be accepted, I actually won somehow, miraculously. I won. But here's what happened. I found out that there's responsibility with being the president that there's leadership and that you have to have vision and that you have to build a team and you have to empower people and there's fundraisers. And the worst of all is you have to give an acceptance speech. Let me tell you, when they told me I had to give an acceptance speech, I literally, I gotta have to go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? I got sick to my stomach. I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't, I was frozen. I was frozen. Let me just tell you something. There's another story in this related to my mom and dad that I won't tell today, but it was the worst speech I ever gave in my entire life. My greatest fear then was to speak in front of people. Are you guys checking what I'm saying? Okay, I I wasn't confident in writing. I wasn't confident in reading and presenting. My sophomore year in high school, I was failing English. My father basically threatened my life, you know, uh, that if I didn't get my grades up, that I would not only, I would receive the board of education, not just, (laughs) does anybody know what I'm talking about out there? So my my father's love language at the time. 
Anyway, but I remember getting a horrible, horrible grade. My report card came out, and, and I, saw this, I saw this failing grade. I thought, oh, my gosh. And fa- my father was going to pick me up from school that particular day. I was freaking out. And I, and I, 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 I just thought, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was just freaking out. So I went to my teacher, Mrs. Crane. I said, Mrs. Crane, listen, uh, you don't understand. Like, I'm a dead man. Like, you see this? This, this dead man, you know what I mean? Most wanted, uh, what's coming for me? I said, and I, anyway, long story short is, I, I know I've been a terrible student. I know I'm not good at writing and reading. I know I haven't done good on some of the things that you've asked me to do. And I just, I'll do chores. I'll sit in the front of the class. I'll never speak a word again. I actually offered to pay her, to pay her. I bribed my teacher. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I bribed my teacher. She, I think she took such pity on me she, I was so pitiful that she decided to change my grade to a passing grade. She changed my grade to a passing grade and after my incessant persistence. You know, it's, it's Luke 18, the persistent widow. It's a persistent man. She, res, she relented and moved my grade up. And I just want to say formally thank you to Mrs. Crane for never giving up on me and giving me that passing grade. If you're listening out there, thank you. Here's the point. God saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And God sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. Amen. God wants you to see as he sees so you can do as he says. But what happens is we get under condemnation and the devil starts talking to us. John 3.16, we all know the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's on every football game in case you're wondering where that reference came from. But verse 17 says he did not come. The son of God did not come into the world to condemn the world. That's not him. But the world through him might be saved. So the message of condemnation, who's it come from? It comes from the devil. The devil is the one who condemns. Con- condemnation says you're a mess. There's no way out. You're always going to be this way. Conviction says you're a mess, but I can turn your mess into a message. I have something that I want to do that's great in you. There's a greatness grenade in you that I want to explode inside of you, but I need you to see you like I see you. And so he stoops down and pulls us out to make us great. Can I have an Amen. amen. One of my favorite stories is this story about this guy. I, my, my pastor told this story in Alabama. It's just wicked funny. But he basically said there's this guy. He comes into a pet store, and he's going to look for an animal. And while he's in there, uh, this parrot is screaming in the background. And he says, hey, 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 buddy, come over here. Come over here. The guy's like, what? You talking to me? The parrot says, yeah, come over here. So the guy goes over, talks to the parrot. The parrot says, man, you are the ugliest man I have ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> parrot tells the guy. So the guy goes back to his manager, and he says, your parent was just insulting me and just making fun of me in front of all the other customers, and what kind of bird is this anyway? And so the manager goes over, slaps the bird silly, pulls out a few feathers, you know, parrot's all freaked out and quiets down, and the guy leaves. Amazingly, the guy comes back. A month later, the guy comes back to the pet store. This time, he decides to stay clear of the parrot. The parrot got good eyesight. Parrot sees him from far off and says, hey, hey, buddy. Come over here. Come over here. Guy says, you talking to me again? Yeah, yeah. Come here. Guy goes over there. Guy says to the parrot, he goes, what? Parrot goes, you know what. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what you say. <laughs> That's what the devil does to you. Just about the time you're getting ready to get close to God, just about the time you're getting ready to take that next step, just when you're thinking in church, you know what, he's right, that's right, I need to take that next step, you know what, that's true, I need to learn more about that, you know, that's true, I need to get in a relationship, I, you know, whatever, just before you're getting ready to do that, take that next move, the devil says, you know what, and you listen to that parrot, and you need to put that parrot in the freezer, Amen. slam the door, by the way, this is the spit zone in case anybody's... That, that parrot keeps you in inferiority. But the Bible says, looking, you know, it's Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's, say it with me, masterpiece. Come on, say it with me. We are God's masterpiece. Somebody says sometimes, you got to be kidding me. I'm no masterpiece. Like, I'm a dirty canvas. Like, I'm an exosketch. You know, you need to just erase this, baby. There ain't anything good coming out of this. No, God says. I didn't say it. God said, you're a masterpiece. And he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things. Look at this. He planned for us long ago. One translation says he created you to do before you came to be. Some of you are just having a hard time with that. I can remember one time, my kids may remember this. I wish Mallory was here because she would. But I can remember my, my son and my daughter, Mallory and Devin, were having some 
friction during their high school years. And Mallory was frustrated and a little bit hurt by Devin. And, and I can remember talking to her. I'm like, Mallory, what is the problem? She says, I don't see anything good in him. I don't like him. And, and so... God gave me a word, you know, for I said, you don't like him, but, but he's staying. <laughs> and if you want to stay, then you're going to have to change your view of Devin to my view of Devin. Check with what I'm saying here now, where I'm going with this, okay? Because we get this way with people. We become familiar with people, and because of our observations, because of our assessments, because of, of their histories and our keeping of the record of those histories and things like that, we, we categorize people, we box people, we limit people, we marginalize people, we hold them down. But he sees, God sees so much more than we see. That's how I feel about the young people of our church. I think young people for, for years in, in churches across America have been marginalized and minimized as incapable of doing what God has called them to do. I think the greatest move of God will happen through the next generation. And we need to do everything we can to foster and fuel that and get behind that and coach that and release and empower that. Can I have an amen? Amen. We need to see them the way God sees them. And here's the thing. Uh, we'll talk about this probably in the summer, but honor... Is, is not your view of people, but honor is God's view of people. Amen. And so sometimes we're, we're assessing people. And I see this sometimes. Like, I can't believe he's working at Connect. I can't believe he's serving in that leadership position. I can't believe she's doing that. Listen, we need to honor people and see people the way God sees people and watch what happens. And you might miss your opportunity while you're assessing everybody while God's getting ready to move through somebody who's accepted what God sees in them and says about them. Because you're not a slave, and God wants to get you out of the mud. He saw a pastor in me at 19. You looked at me at 19, I didn't look like a pastor. No, my wife's amening all the way home here. He said, I, saw, I see you helping hundreds and hundreds of people. That greatness grenade was about that. But I couldn't see it, but he could. So then he says he'll perform mighty acts of judgment. What is this all about? This is about, the second part of this verse is about what God has reserved for the devil. Because the devil wants to thwart the plan of God in your life. Because he's not omniscient, but he is smart and intelligent. So honestly, honestly, he's paying more attention sometimes to the purpose and plan of God being fulfilled in your life than you are. You're not stewarding the gift and calling of God on your life, but he's paying attention so that you don't get to where he wants you to go, God wants you to go. So what does he do? He creates diversions. That's your next fill in the blank, diversions. All of us have experienced diversions. This is the part of our story that we never wanted to happen. How many of us have had a part of our story we never wanted to happen? Having a few pages on the book, we never wanted to be there. Even though the Bible says all of the days of our life are ordained by God, not, not, not if they're not submitted to him, we can get sidetracked on that. God is the, the, the author of this book, but this diversion, that's, he's the author of diversions, the devil. The devil's the author of diversions. And so God's basically saying, I got to judge the devil and cancel his plan on your life so that you can be redeemed. That's what this second part of the verse is talking about. Is that powerful? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Because, and listen to this, this is especially true for New Englanders, and, and uh, I'm just going to call them the fat cats, people who are all successful. You can be diverted not just by bad things, but by good things. Success might be the number one reason you haven't experienced the third cup in redemption in your life. Success. Mm-mm-mm. See, we all think it's the bad things. Well, something bad happened to me, and some tragic happened to me, and something somebody did to me, something I did that got me to where I am, so now I'm a worm and I can't get... Yeah, I, we've talked about that till we're blue in the face, but nobody wants to talk about we're being successful and we're taking the hill and we're living the American dream, but we're still not living the dream God called for us to live. We're still not doing what he's called us to live. And so we miss what God wants to do. I talked to a guy just this week at the gym, my second church away from home, and, and, and I said, he said, I said, man, I haven't seen you in a while. How you doing? Kind of came up and chest bumped him. That's another story altogether, but sometimes. But I, I, he, says, I, he says, I love this church. He says, but I can't be there on the weekends, hardly at all. I said, he said, because of my job. I said, well, how, how long do you think that's going to be going on? When do you think that's going to change? He said, retirement, kind of with a, with a smirk on his face. And not until, he said, not until retirement. And he was bummed out inside, and he saw kind of no way out. And he said, things are successful. But he went like this. He goes, Things are successful, but basically, what is he saying? I'm successful, but I'm not fulfilled. 
I'm not fulfilled. Some of us think we can, we, can we, we just can't do anything about it. Like, there's no way out of it. Like, we're stuck. Like, I got to maintain this and I got to maintain that and to keep doing that, then I can't do what God wants me to do. Listen, God will always provide a way out from escape when you submit to him. He will always show you a way to do. When you put, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll add all these things under you. Sometimes it's an issue of submission and just prioritization. You say he's first, but you're not living like he is first. Ooh, I love how this hurts, Pastor. But God always does that. Verse Thessalonians 2.18 says this, We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. Everybody say prevent. That's the Greek word ekopta, but it basically means that the enemy came in to impede one's progress by putting something in your way. So here's the thing. God, Satan, excuse me, cannot touch you unless you give him permission to do, but he will put things in your way. He will. One translation says he, like, he puts a ditch in the road, in your path. So, so he can't touch you because you're a child of God. You know who you are. You're walking in your identity, but also in the authority of Christ, and you're cruising down the line, and then there's a ditch. There's, there's, a, there's a problem in the road. There's a hole in the road. And so what we're supposed to do as Christ followers is called to be overcomers in accordance with Romans 8 is go through that problem. We're supposed to face the flood, not just try to dance through the rain. Does anybody make sense what I'm saying? We're called to be overcomers. That's what actually calls attention to Christians because not because we have no problems, but because we come over problems. But instead, what happens is we look at that ditch in the road and we take the course of least resistance. We accept the diversion of the enemy. Then we get out here in diversion and we get all beat up realizing, oh my gosh, I'm totally off the planet. I got too late. We can't do anything about it. I'm stuck here. Success has got me out here. To maintain all this, I got to do this. Or because of the bad problems in my life, all the things that are going on, it's going to take too long. I'll never get back to what God wants me to do. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that he works all things together for good to them that are called according to his good works, his plan of God. So he'll take every path, every path, and he can find you back to the path of God if you'll submit to him. So if I go on Route 9, excuse me, if I go to Logan Airport, which, which, I'll, which I'll hit tomorrow, the best way for me to go is Mass Pike. But if I got diverted onto Route 9, how many know that I can still get to Logan Airport? Right? Now, I might hit a few stoplights. <laughs> it might take a little bit longer, but how many know I can still get there? Every path in your life where it feels like you're diverted, does not mean you're, you have to stay there. God can get you back to where he wants you to be. Can I have an amen? amen? Are you sure? Are you sure? Look at this. I love this verse. Are you sure, PD? Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, the message says, God's gift and God's call are under full warranty, never canceled, never rescinded. Man, you can't get a better verse than that. The NIV says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. The King James says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Basically, what does that mean? It means whatever God put in you, whatever he called you to do, he'll never change his mind. He's never going to let you go. He's never going to turn his back on you. It is irrevocable. It's, it's, gonna, it's there. He's going to keep on coming. He's going to keep on believing in you. He's never going to change his mind about you. One time I was with my family, and we were going through a hard time financially, and the kids were catching a little wind of it, and we're pretty transparent with our kids because we want to grow them and not just, you know, shield them, you know, and, and, and from everything. And so we had a little family meeting. I said, everybody, let's sit down. And we were eating a nice, nice meal. And I said, you know, as of, as of after today, we'll start going to rice and beans. Things are a little tough. And I looked around the table. And I said, kids, I got some, I got some uh, bad news. I'm going to have to let one of you all go. <laughs> they laughed. <laughs> I was just trying to put things in perspective with them. But no matter how bad things get, God's never going to let you go. He's never going to change his mind on you. He's always going to keep working to fulfill the plan of God. So what's the cup of redemption all about? Two words that you're going to have to warm up to. I don't know what your background is. Uh, you might be one of them spooky spiritual cats, or maybe you just, the whole thing, you're seeker, and it's all new to you. But the two big words are spiritual gift. Spiritual gift. Everybody say spiritual gift. The, the way that God gets you on the pathway to the purpose of God in your life is first to discover your gift, your special gift. It's placed inside every one of you. Every single one of you have been given gifts. They're different for each one of you. You shouldn't want my gift unless you have the same one. Some of us are trying to get other people's gifts, and we haven't accepted or acknowledged the gift God's given us as if that's not important. The Bible says sometimes the things that are public are not as important as the things that are private or indispensable, it actually says in the scriptures. 
You need to find out what your gift is. Look at Romans 12, 6 says. It says we have different gifts according to the grace. Everybody say grace. grace. That's not a pretty girl's name. That's that word in the Greek means charis, where we get the word charismatic. That word has been hijacked by weirdos, and, and it's defined sometimes wrong, but it basically means divine ability, divine enablement. It means you have a special grace upon your life in a particular area to do something amazing for God. Being on this stage is not hard for me. It's a grace. It's a gift. So, like, I'm having, the, I'm having the time of my life. This should be illegal. I'm having so much fun. But you put somebody else up here. You put my personal assistant up here, you know, and you say, hey, Gretchen, I'd like you to go up there and share this morning. She's going to be like, uh, I need to use the bathroom. You know what I mean? She's going to feel sick. She's going to get all stressed out. You know, if you tell my mom, hey, mom, I want you to exhort the people on Mother's Day, she'll start preparing today <laughs> for then. A couple weeks, get ready. I saved some of you guys. Get ready, okay? But it's because there's a grace on some people for that. Now, it didn't used to be this way for me, but if you put me down in, I, I love all the people that work down in Connect Kids. Love, amazing. The grace that's on people that take care of y'all's kids is incredible, but there's a certain age bracket that I'm not as gracious towards. I won't mention the, name, the, 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 you know, the age bracket, three, fours, and fives. But if I was down there and they weren't doing what I was saying, I'd be like, you know, he's so cute. Isn't he so cute? And he's like messing around doing crazy. No, he's not so cute. Sit down. I'd be like, sit down, son. If you don't sit down, I will duct tape you to that chair. And your mouth, too. Somebody was saying, like, man, don't put him around my kids. I'm, I don't. Don't put them around my kids. I got grades for my kids, but I hate y'all's kids. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway, some of you have this desire in you to do something. You want to help the poor. You feel like some kind of calling to overseas and do, making a difference in other parts of the world. Some of you have a desire to help people who are struggling in their finances, and you see them, they're just broke in their finances, so they're broke in their hearts and their emotions. Some of you want to help people figure out what they're supposed to do with their life. Like, you love that. Like, that, that lights you up. Some of you know you're called to lead. Some of you know you're called to serve. You have this desire for it. God did that. He put that in you. That's from him. That's the grace. That's the charis in your life. You need to find out what that is, and let me take it a step further. You need to do something about it. 1 Corinthians 14 one says, follow the way of love, or you can say, go after it. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. This is what the church is actually here. This is what we're actually here for, is to help you with this. All right? So how do you do it? Three ways. You got to discover your gift. Number one, discover. Everybody say discover. discover. Are you guys having a good time? Okay, so like 20 plus years of ministry, let me just tell you something, and I learned some stuff from previous generations as well. We've gotten, we can help you with the start. I'm not saying it's the end all, we figured it all out, but we can help you with this. But sometimes people think that, you know, you were just born, your parents conceived you, and then um, you came into this world, and then God says, okay, you know, what am I going to do with him now? Derek's here. Not much. Maybe he can do, nah, he can't do that. Mm, uh, I don't think he can do that. Maybe he can do this. That's not how it came to be. No, he had something for you to do, and a special assignment, a special role to affect the planet, and then he made you perfectly designed with the particular skills and abilities and aptitudes and passions to be able to match that assignment. It was the other way around. I don't know if you guys get how significant that is. It's in you. You were created to do something even before you came to be. God had the thing for you to do first, and then he made you. He was making you to perfectly with that assignment. Psalm 139 talks about this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Complexity is not just for women. I was just seeing if you guys are paying attention out there. <laughs> there are we're all complex. We were all wired complex. All right? There are things that make you laugh, things that make you cry, things that make you shout and do cartwheels that are different than things that make other people laugh, cry, shout, or do cartwheels. There's something in you that's unique, and, and, and it's all there. It's grace, and your workmanship, the Bible says, is marvelous. This is what David's saying. He embraced who he was, your workmanship, what you did. It's like, he's like, David's like going, check this out. Get a, get a view of this. That's what he's saying. 
He was, he was comfortable with how he was made. He says, how well I know it. Most of us are not, we don't know ourselves. I was coaching somebody just recently saying, you need to know yourself better to be able to, he's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not clear what I'm supposed to do with my life because you don't know yourself. How well David knew it. Are you guys getting this? Here's some bonus. Desire, these desires you have are connected to your design, the way you're made, and that points to what your destiny is, what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. How you're made points to what you're supposed to do. And the key, by the way, to all of this, and I don't care what secular uh, conventional wisdom would say to you, is God. You're not going to figure this out by more education. You're not going to figure this out by more self-discipline, self-improvement, some uh, you know, self-help seminar or something like that. No, it's connected to God because he made you. He actually put that gift inside you. He's the one who knows best. He's the author of your life. Look at this, Ephesians 1.11 says, it's in Christ, I didn't say it, he said it, that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everyone and every, everything and everyone. I love this. I could have had 10 verses here, but one more. Colossians 1.16 says, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. It's all about him. That's how you figure it out. So you got to discover. Number two, develop. Everybody say develop. It's never perfect when you first get it. <laughs> That's why we need a church. So I want you to see something. You're not going to, you discover your gift, great. Where do you work it out? Church. That's what, that's what God decided. I didn't decide that. So he, he wants to get you a, a kind of a, a, a place where you practice the game. In Ephesians 4, 7, and then verses 11 through 12, it says, But to each one of us, grace, that's that word charis, a special grace, has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the, the fivefold Fivefold ministers. So there's these five, it's like, it's like a man's hand. I don't see if I can remember these. The apostles, like the thumb, the, the pointer finger, this is the, pro, the prophet. He wants to stick his finger in your business and say, Thus saith the Lord, you need to. Rah. Then the middle finger, don't get the wrong idea, the middle finger can reach the furthest. It's the evangelist, it's the one that's always thinking outside the box. The ring finger is the pastor. This is the one who's, who's connected and committed to shepherding the flock. And then you got the pinky, this is the teacher. This is the one who's got the particular details to make sure that we watch our life and doctrine closely. God God gave us five-fold ministers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We need to be equipped. This is where we get developed. What's your gift? Great. Now let's coach you on how to use your gift. Amen? And we do this in our church under five-fold ministry, but also through our growth track. And many are still confused about what that's all about. This is for everyone because everybody is on a spiritual journey. So if you have not gone to a growth track, this is your church. You, I'm asking you to give us three weekends of your life and walk through this spiritual journey. If you have not done it, go for it. It will change your life. The first step, write this in your notes. I don't know if it's a fill in the blank, but if it isn't, fill in the blank in your head. All right? Get connected to a church. Are you formally connected? Are you are you locked in? I'm not talking about just pop in, pop out. That's great. Don't retire from God or don't vacation, you know, in and out with God. Go all out. Like, take the whole, just go all out. Assume the full recipe of what God has for you. We do that at Church 101, the first Sunday of the month. Give us a year of your life. One year. You didn't get where you are in just a year. You got it over many, many years. But in one year, your life will be changed if you go all out. Number two, get healthy. You do that in Church 201. This is where we teach people kind of Christian living. I know all that kind of stuff. Well, great. We'll fire you up again. Some of you don't. You need to be refreshed. The second thing is get to know yourself. This is what I'm talking about today. Get to know yourself. That's Discovery 301. That's tonight. Lower auditorium, child care, food provided. If you want to figure out what is your spiritual gift, this is going to be so helpful. Some people come around and they didn't know because you can't figure. It's not self-assessment and self-discovery doesn't happen by yourself. 
You got to do that with other people. And so we have some great tools and surveys and things that will help you. You'll come away going, okay, that's my gift. Now that's going to help me figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life or how to get off this diversion or how to get out from underneath this inferiority. And the last thing is you got to get out of the stand and get in the game. And that's about basically doing ministry or dream team. We'll talk about that next week. But 25% of the people who are sometimes serving on a dream team or haven't found their right spot. They haven't really found their right spot. So you don't have to just get locked into one place. We're going to help you figure out what that is, where you're supposed to go. That might affect your career. That might affect certain relationships. That might affect your role in the local church. All of this will help you in your spiritual journey. Can I have an amen? Amen. So here's the third and last point. Use your gift. I believe you've never experienced life until you found the thing you're created to do. Where you can lay your head down knowing there's tons of problems, but man, life is worth living. My son sent me a Voxer just a couple of days ago, and it had, it's just great to just see the transformation of one that's so close to you. But, you know, he was just honoring his father with some kind words, and uh, I told him, I said, stop it, stop it. These guys are getting ready to burst, because I'm like a tender warrior, so I can cry at the drop of a hat. But at the end of what he was talking about, and in particular, what was standing out to me was seeing somebody who was living really, uh, you know, found the third cup and is moving into the fourth cup. I see someone who's living at that level. He says, Dad, I'm living in the same place. He was referencing the town in which he lives, but I'm a different person. I'm in the same place, but I'm a different person. Every day I can't wait to get up and face the world. It's the best time of my life. I love connecting with people, enjoying relationships, and, and just helping people and pointing people to the next step in their walk with God. He goes, it's just, it's just the most exciting time of my life. That's what it's supposed to be like, not just for Devin, not just for Derek Fry, but for every single person in this room. You know, it's a joy to me to watch different people find their spiritual gift, to watch Linda Rosa and do the things she does behind the scenes and nobody sees it. You know, to watch Gretchen who kind of orders my life from chaos to in confusion to order. It's the joy of my life to watch Lori Dudley at the front door just be hospitable for nine or ten years every single week because it's her spiritual gift. To watch people who work in finance like Brian and Lynn and different people that I could pop, Kristen Eyre, different ones because it's their gift and they love what they're doing. It's not work. It's not work for them. I can tell you story after story of people sometimes that are on this stage all the way to people that are down in classrooms to watch John Renone who works with your kids downstairs and loves what he's doing, has vision, writes manuals. Ah! I have no interest in that. But he's so lit up about kids. He sees a plan and a future for his life in ministry with kids. Those people are in your room and they discover what they were called to do in their spiritual gift in this church, doing what I'm telling you to do. It will change your life. You get around people that are living the gift, it's unbelievable. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. So manage them well so that, you're, so that God's generosity can flow through you. It's just amazing. Your real purpose really is to serve God by serving people, by serving people. That's your real purpose. Would you stand to your feet and let me pray for you? Did you guys get something out of that this morning? I hope so. I hope you're challenged. I hope you're inspired at the same time. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads for me? Just to be still, just to honor the person around you and honestly give God a moment to connect with you personally and directly. Thank you, God. God, I've done my part and I'm asking you to do what I can't do. Connect the dot. Connect them to their gift. To their gift. Lord, I just pray that you speak to them by the Holy Spirit, that you surface within them And that you would somehow, by your grace and by your power, help them to overcome the parrot in their ear. It says, you know what? You know what? You're a liar. The enemy lies and distorts and deceives. But, Lord, there are people here who are created as masterpieces to do incredible things. What could happen if instead of nine, almost nine out of ten people not knowing, discovering, not developing... And not using the gift. What if 9 out of 10 discovered, developed, and used their gift for the kingdom of God? What, what could you do? Anything. Anything is possible to people who come into that kind of agreement and vision alignment, accepting God's assignment for their life. I come against, Lord, the enemy that tries to distort 
and, and divert them from the plan of God. And I thank you that you, God, judge the devil's plans and you will thwart his schemes and his wiles and his diversions. Jesus, stop the enemy's plans in their lives in Jesus' name. And if you're here today, again, with just honoring the person to your right or to your left, give them that privacy. If you're here today and you feel distant from God and, and the things that are being said just seem so far away, like to be able to see and to be able to accept the purpose and plan of God and see his gift, sometimes you have to see the first gift, which is grace. You have to accept that all these promises can only be filled in relationship with God. And you want to get close to the one who has the book on your life, the one who knows you best, who's made you and wants to know you personally by inviting him into your life. I'm not going to embarrass you, but it's important that you make this decision. This is the start. This is the start of an incredible journey. And it may seem insignificant, but it's, it's that easy. It's that free. You just say yes to God. And you, you, you acknowledge that you need him in your life and that you can't do it without him. And when you do, something happens on the inside of you that begins a process that literally will lead you to the plan of God in your life. If that's you and you know God is speaking to you, and maybe he's speaking to you online behind that computer or that TV screen, it's important you for you to acknowledge that and just say, that's me. Would you raise your hand and just say, that's me? I want to make sure that I leave today. God bless you at the back there. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you, sir. That's awesome. God, I'm proud of you. Anybody else that says that's me? I don't want to miss anybody. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you over here. I see that hand, honey. Thank you. Thank you, sir, all the way at the back. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So important, so important. You can put your hands down. Thank you, God. Church, you know what this is all about because we've been here before and we, many of us recently, many of us over many years made this decision, but I'm gonna ask you to pray this prayer. Those of you that raised your hand, this is so important. And those of you that are praying along, would you just fall into agreement with them and just, would you help them usher in this incredible decision that they're making and realizing that, that they're, they're crossing a line that there's, there's an eternal relationship being established today because of what they're going to say right now. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, say it good and strong. Jesus, save me. I'm living my own life today, but I'm going to surrender my life to you today. I want to live for you. Forgive me for going my own way. I surrender control of my life to you as my Lord and my Savior. Take control. I desire to start this journey with you now and forever in Jesus name and all God's people said amen and amen come on let's give the Lord a big hand clap thank you Jesus